Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's time for the Negative Positives Podcast, coming to you live out of the Gutter Man Cave in beautiful Louisville, Kentucky. And now, here are your hosts, Andre Dominguez and Mike Gutterman. Hello and welcome to the Negative Positives Podcast, episode number 255. And this is a special edition of the Negative Positives. It's our roundtable discussion, the roundtable for the month of August, where we have uh, guests on that have been on the show previously. So we don't have to talk to them about like how they got started in film or have questions or interviews with them. This is where we just tackle some hot topics in film photography over the last, uh, uh, just whatever we come up with. Generally, we have everybody that's on the uh, episode to kind of come up with a topic and we just kind of discuss it. We give ourselves 20 minutes uh, with the Gray Lab timer to uh, time each one of these segments. We only have 20 minutes to discuss each topic, and after the time runs out, we hear the scary buzz. That lets us know that we are done talking about that topic. So uh, let's get on into this, and let's meet this, the August Roundtable. I'm Mike Gutterman. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, and I am drinking Evan Williams Small Batch 1783 bourbon. I'm Andre Dominguez here in the City of Angels, Los Angeles, California, Drinking some water because I'm lame. <laughs> I'm Dustin Cogdell. I'm uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm drinking some Henry McKenna bottled in bond. Nice. And I'm Matt Melcher. I'm in Norwalk, Iowa, and I'm just letting you all know that I've been clean and sober for 20 hours. That will hopefully last until Wednesday when my <laughs> weekend starts again. <laughs> And uh, we also have another guest in the uh, in the Gutterman Cave, and it's this it's this effing cricket, and it's been in here all week, and I can't find it, and it is insistent on making a lot of noise. So we're gonna have a little bit of a nature vibe going on in the uh, the podcast tonight. So uh, I always knew that when it came to our audience, uh, we we pretty much uh, just have crickets, and we we definitely have them tonight. So, uh, but let's get into the um, the first uh, discussion for the roundtable, and this one is actually prompted by a call in from Mr. Mike Williams. And uh, so let's listen to his call in, and that will be the, uh, the first discussion topic for the roundtable. So let's check that out. Hey, Gutterman. Mike here. Uh, first of all, I am in the car again. I think I do my best call ins on the road. So bear with me and ignore some of the strange road sounds. Uh, I just wanted to touch on a subject that I thought was kind of interesting and wanted to get your take on it. And that is, in the whole film community thing, if you don't like exactly what everybody else likes, somehow you feel like a bad person and uh, you think they're going to take away your film community membership card or something. But uh, I'll give you some great examples. There are some things that people love that I just don't care for. And I've decided it's okay. Like, you don't have to love everything that everybody else loves. Uh, one example for me would be the Trip 35. You know, I saw all the hype about the Trip 35. Everybody's raving about it. Got one. I was all excited. And when I saw the scans, I was like, meh. I mean, it's okay. But for that price, you could have got a much better camera that would give you some much better images. 
Uh, next one. Oh, and this one burnt some asses when I said I didn't like the K1000. Oh, wow. The K1000 would be awesome if it was cheap, but it's not because the reputation and the hype and eBay, they're pretty expensive. And again, much better options out there. You can actually get a camera that you can turn on and off and won't waste your battery. Okay. And maybe one that has split screen focusing. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't for me. And when I said I didn't like it, people were like, oh, this guy sucks. You know, uh, the latest one is TLRs. Oh, everybody loves a TLR, right? And uh, not me. And I'm sure other people don't like them either, but they're scared to say they are because they'll be, oh, this dumbass, right? So, uh, yeah, I don't like looking down in it. It hurts my neck. I don't like trying to focus it. Uh, I miss the focus a lot. Um, you know, for me, they're much better options. Say an SLR type medium format camera works much better for me. So, oh, one more. I'll give you one more before I leave. That's large format. Ooh, boy, I must be Satan if I don't like large format, right? Because everybody loves that. Hey, it just doesn't work for what I do. So, not my thing. All right. So, just curious about you. Uh, do you somehow feel pressured to like everything and anything film related? Uh, probably, especially since you have the podcast. You know, if, if you were to say on a podcast that you didn't like something, ooh, you'd probably have people dropping like flies. So, all right. Hey, just something to think about. Take care. Stay positive. Shoot some cool film photos. All right. Well, thank you, Mike Williams, for the call in and uh, kind of a good topic for the roundtable. And uh, I'll go ahead and, and kind of jump in with what I, I think about this call in. First of all, I think it's hilarious. But, se but secondly, <laughs> uh, the the Pentax K1000, I'll defend that. Uh, you know, I'm a big, big, it is the working man's camera. And uh, uh, but it has uh, if you get the SE model, you get the one with the splits, uh, the split image uh, kind of focusing in your viewfinder. So, so I think that's kind of kind of takes away one of the things that he was complaining about with the, the K1000. But uh, I'll definitely agree with him. I'm not a huge fan of the TLRs. Uh, shot uh, one or two rows through my Kodak TLR, which is probably not the best example of one of those. But and it's okay. But I had some really trouble focusing with it and stuff. But um, but then again, I'm old, so maybe it's just my eyes. But uh, and then lastly, uh, large format. Uh, oh, you know what? I forgot to start the timer. So let me get the gray lab going. Sorry about that. And uh, so uh, yeah, and the. Um, uh, the last one's last large format, and I don't see me doing that anytime soon. I don't have the time for that stuff. I, when I, at the little time I get to shoot, I'm not taking a large format camera out and taking one or two shots and calling it a day. And uh, I just would rather just uh, shoot medium format. I got the Pentax 6.7, you know, the working man's uh, medium format camera. And uh, so uh, and that, that's, that gives me plenty of quality for what I need and the, the size prints that I print and, and all that. So uh, just kind of my take. Uh, so what do, you, what do you guys think about this one, this topic? Well, first of all, I think um, Mike needs to stop drinking and driving because it's obvious that he's drunk. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, the, I, I agree with him on the K1000. Like, people tout it as being like this cheap entry level camera, but there are so many cameras you can get for much cheaper than a K1000. Are you talking about the SE? Yeah, you can get the SE with the split image finder, but you're also going to pay a premium for the SE, which adds to what he was saying with it being more expensive. Um, and, and I think, 
you know, this this has been like said multiple times on other podcasts, but like who freaking cares what you like and what you don't like? I think this is like all in people's heads when they get butthurt about what people think. Like, why do you care what other people are thinking? Just shoot what you like and be happy about it. Yeah, good point. I, I will say this though, you know, and the thing about the K one thousand is uh you know, it, it does get kind of overpriced because of the hype and all that. And the KX and, and is so much a better camera. It's basically a K1000 with uh, extra features, and it usually goes for cheaper. So I would say if you're in that market, don't turn down uh, looking at the KX. Uh, it, it actually, you can switch, uh, switch the meter off on it. The meter is only active when you kind of pull the uh, uh, advanced lever out uh, halfway. And so it does turn the meter off when you put it flush with the camera so you don't have to worry about having a lens cap on at all times to uh, keep from running your battery down. So uh, it's just uh, all, all in all a way better camera that a lot of times you can get cheaper than a K1000. So, but that's just a, another little insight on that, but uh, just, you know, just, just taking up for the working man's camera system. So there you go. Right. Right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Matt. Crickets. Anyways, um, uh, actually, I, I just want to say to Sean, you know, it's, it's okay. It's okay that not everybody agrees with you. You have good ideas, and you should do the things that make you feel happy about yourself and, and enjoy the things that make you uh, want to pursue photography as an as a endeavor. Uh, that being said, I agree with you 100% about the K1000. I think it's overpriced, overpriced, overpriced not worth it my god just go get a spotmatic with the m42 mount for five bucks and you've got every bit of camera as you've got for a uh, uh k1000 i i defend tlrs because i like them however i certainly get that people can't look at them and focus them um you know eyes regardless they're they're uh not everybody's piece of cake it, you've got to completely change the way that you look through a lens um to use them I mean, personally, I look at my, my pet peeve, the one I can't stand, uh, point-and-shoot cameras. Hate them. Hate them, hate them, hate them. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, they have no redeeming factors whatsoever. So, But that's me, and I really don't care what anybody thinks. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, but large format, yeah, you know, I get it. That's like the thing, your, your, art, your art guy, you're supposed to get into that. And I can't imagine really ever doing it. Uh, maybe, maybe someday. I mean, it would have to drop in my lap, though. But I would certainly never look it out. I'm, a, I'm finding that I'm pretty much a 35 millimeter guy, who shoots a little medium format on the side. That's me. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I agree with you on the point and shoots, man. I mean, I have, I have one that I really, really like. Well, I got a couple that I like, but uh, they're kind of. Uh, I got the the Lomo LCA is a is a really fun point and shoot because it kind of has a unique look to it or whatever. But uh, the um, my Pentax UC1, I've been continually impressed with that thing to the point where I've actually had the courage to shoot slide film in it because the exposure meter on it has been really spot on, even even in like night photography. And it's got a super sharp lens on it, so I've been really happy with that. It's a nice like uh, when we went to like an amusement park uh, last last week or whatever, it was perfect because I could you know something I could easily put in my pocket and still like ride rides and stuff, and not have to have somebody hold my camera or. You know, every time I, I want to get on something or have my wife lug my camera around while I get on bumper cars. So, uh, but, but so, yeah, I have enjoyed that. But for the most part, I think a lot of those cameras are so overhyped and you can get so much of a better camera for the kind of money people are spending on point and shoots. So, right. Yeah, and I think that's the big part is, is the money part. There's so much, so much stuff that you can get that's just next to nothing. 
Um, and it's every bit the camera is whatever happens to be this thing that's been hyped by whomever. Mm-hmm. One Andre of, the like, cricket. My kind of, <laughs> <laughs> one of my like uh, kind of not necessarily unpopular because it is gaming steam. <laughs> <laughs> that was not that was not the official timer. Dustin is playing a joke <laughs> uh, with his own gray lab timer. <laughs> Uh, I I don't know what I was expecting other than shenanigans. <laughs> anyway, uh, what I was saying was that like my own kind of relatively recent uh, film photography uh, hot take, Can't even though done. it's it's not necessarily you know unpopular. It's actually gaining steam now. Is this whole like really simple um, HP uh, printer thing? There have been some people as I've kind of you know gushed about how much I've been enjoying uh, really, really simplified printing, you know, not even kind of pulling anything into uh, Lightroom or, or Photoshop, not creating like profiles, whatever, just literally printing straight from uh, the scan and like selecting like the HP photo paper thing in the in the actual, you know, built-in software of my HP printer uh, that some people have said like, oh, you know, it's fine that you're you're doing that, but like true printing uh, should be should be optical, should be done in the dark room. And my reaction to that was kind of like, like I mean, yeah, who cares? I, I love printing it. in Go the dark room. Go print yourself if that's how you want to print, but don't tell somebody else what they should be doing. Exactly. Like, exactly. I, I enjoy yep. printing in the dark room. It's a lot of fun. It also, you know, requires more equipment that I don't have set up right now. We're in the process of moving the Cinestill office and probably going to be a few weeks until we get everything set up um i haven't used my little 35 millimeter enlarger here in my bathroom for about five months uh and in the meantime i'm really enjoying this it requires basically zero work and i'm like pretty darn happy with the results so that whole concept of of you know like oh these these you know cheap commercial uh printers you know suck and you should be printing in the dark room I would love to be able to print in the darkroom more often, but even when I do have everything set up at the new Sinistil office, I'm still going to be doing these because I love making little, you know, four by six prints of decent quality and uh, doing a bunch of them. I have a stack here that's going out to, to people in the not too distant future, and I would not be able to do that as quickly in the darkroom, nor would I be able to do color. My thing against it for these people is like, Back in the day, like everybody got four by sixes from the drugstore or from Walmart, and and nobody said anything to anybody about getting prints that way. How many of these people that are working in the darkroom now used to print primarily or only in the darkroom back in the day? Probably only a very small fraction of them. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, and and I, I you know, it's funny. Uh, I had some. There was some talk on uh, on the Facebook group. Uh, Junior Wyatt just recently got a uh, HP uh, NV printer as well, and and somebody was making the point that you know well, if you're going to ever sell in galleries, they're going to ask for you're going to have to have archival prints, which I mean that's fine, that's a unique uh, circumstance where you're going to you're going to have to have uh, either pigment ink uh, as far as inkjet prints or or an optical print, uh, you know, on a silver halide paper or whatever. Uh, so, but you know, for what I do with the HP printer is, uh, you know, I, I, I do art shows. It's just outside art shows. This isn't fancy schmancy stuff, man. This is, this isn't any highfalutin art crowd I'm selling to, you know? So, and those HP prints are, are perfect for that. And, you know, HP is claiming a fade resistance of 25 years on these things. And that, 
that's probably I don't know. That's probably about what they rated lab prints, uh, you know, drugstore prints at uh, back in the day. Uh, it was probably around that same time frame. I think they last a lot longer because I've recently been <clears throat> scanning more uh, uh, photo albums we inherited from uh, my father-in-law. Uh, some more uh, found like four more photo albums of my wife's childhood, basically. So I've been spending hours and hours scanning prints out of these things. And these things are from you know the 1970s, 1980s, and they all you know there's some of them have. Um, a couple some color shifts but not not too bad and most of them still look fantastic you know and these are really old prints that not really kept in the best photo albums or, or in probably in the best storage situations but they all still look great you know so i don't have any real fear of um what these uh inkjet prints uh, the dye-based inkjet printers uh, nowadays are so much uh, beyond uh, the inks have gotten so much better than they were just five ten years ago uh, i'm pretty confident that they'll they'll last long enough for my purposes with uh, the hp printer anyway so well, and one thing, you know, really, back to Sean's point. I mean, there's a lot of people. I think it's, it's Mike been Williams. around. Mike, Mike Williams, Mike Williams yeah. Sean, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Barry. <laughs> <laughs> so what? What Same Barry person. originally said. That one guy. Um, and anyways, but it really goes back to something that's been part of this film photography renaissance for years now, and that's the people who were but there doing it in the past, telling everybody else how to do it, how it has to be done and what's important and what's good and what isn't. And that, that I don't know how we shake that, but it's, 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 it's nonsense. It's utter nonsense that people still have some bully on a chat board. Who's just going to tell everybody and shout them down that you can't do it this way and you can't do it that way. There's only one way. There's only one good quality type of camera. There's only one, you know, I, I personally, I think it's nonsense. And, you know, you, if you're, like I said, Hey, I, I, I bust on point and shoots all the time, but I see some great work done by him. So if that's what works for you and, and it makes you feel like you're doing something that, that you enjoy, enjoy it, use it, do it. You, my opinion doesn't validate anybody. I hope mm -hmm. not anyways. Those old timers that, will die off uh, one day. <laughs> yeah <laughs> what do you think too that like maybe some of this is like you know with the, the film kind of community getting bigger and that we're seeing it on the facebook groups and stuff like that uh that you know as these things get bigger you're gonna you know you're gonna get some bad apples that start kind of coming in a, a little bit of what we used to see on the old analog forum analog photography forums back in the day uh, a little bit of uh, that starting to creep in at, at times but as these uh kind of groups get bigger you kind of start seeing a little more of that element kind of trying to rear its ugly head a, a tad bit i think a little bit might be just attributed to the fact that this thing is kind of growing and more people are getting involved in uh, the kind of the, the forums and the facebook groups and all that stuff and it, you know and it's natural that that somebody's going to come in and, and try to be an asshole from time to time right yeah i think it comes back to the old adage you know the squeaky wheel gets the grease you know those people are going to make the most noise, and if you just ignore them long enough, they'll go away. <laughs> right, or 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 just ban them, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm known to do that. <laughs> yeah, Dustin is a moderator for uh, the Negative Positives Film Photography Podcast Facebook group, and I think he, he's probably been the most active at at banning people. So. <laughs> yeah, I think I've got like twenty under my belt right now. <laughs> <laughs> he scratches a little uh, little little notch in his belt every time he uh, every time he uh, bans somebody, right? Or those, those notches something a, else? <laughs> yeah, no, I've got a, I've got a hundred foot roll, and I clip a frame off every time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right. Anybody else got anything on this topic? We got about six minutes left, so uh, we can just go ahead and not hear that evil buzzer. It's up to you guys. Well, I guess I can bring something. So I think part of this ties into like not being having to be jazzed about every time a new product oh, yeah. comes out, too, because you know, let's be honest. Some of these products that are coming out seem to be a little bit shyster. Like they're just trying to take advantage of the the film quote unquote renaissance. Um, like, you know, there are some that are legitimate, but it seems like there are some that are a little shystery. And then, you know, not everybody's always going to be stoked about a new film that comes out, and that's okay. Um, you know, I just, I think the the mm-hmm. point I'm trying to get at is, like, it's, you're not obligated to enjoy everything about a hobby just because you enjoy the hobby. Uh-huh. I agree with you with the not having to enjoy everything, but when it comes to products, like, I kind of bristle at the at the reaction of certain things as being shystery because anybody can, you know, develop a, a product. We don't know how much it takes, uh, you know, time-wise, energy-wise, money-wise, in order to develop that product. And the person is, you know, free to charge whatever uh, they want for it. Whether or not they're going to make a lot of money, how many people are going to take them up on that price is completely up to them so I, I kind of bristle a little bit against I, this like i hear what you're saying products but you also have an obvious bias andre and it's it, you can't deny it but the yeah, thing I, is I have bias. <laughs> yeah no that's what i'm getting at though like i don't think that you can quite look at this the same way as other people because you have a vested interest in said subject um the thing is like yeah yeah sure people can develop whatever product they want to and they have the right to charge whatever they want to but i also have the right to call people on shystery products as well what do you consider shystery i'm not gonna get into it on right now there's there's not (laughs) enough time well let i'll just tie into one last thing uh, to uh, to sort of agree with what dustin says and that's that um you know just because i shoot film primarily i'm not obligated to buy any specific film, a new thing that comes out, I'm not there to, I don't have to get it simply because I'm supporting the film. No, community. this is very true. I mean, There's many I, ways of supporting. You do well, not you have know, to buy every product or support every exactly. Kickstarter. I mean, I, I don't. I, I don't. I mean, you guys know I primarily shoot old expired film. I mean, I mm-hmm. buy film once a year, maybe 10 rolls. So I don't feel the need to go support a a new thing that comes out simply because it's new and it's film. And, you know, if we don't support them, then we won't have new film in the future. I'm like, well, that's a bunch of bunk. You make a good product and, and, uh, price it fairly and people will, will buy it. You know, I, I've got a lot of opinions about that, so I'm going to hold off on them for other things. But, um, you know, I, I just think that, you know, that's like my pet peeve. I, I'm not obligated to buy anything to do anything other than the stuff that I currently do. So, yeah, and as far as the podcast thing, I, I think I think we're generally pretty honest about it. Usually if I have a product that I don't really care about or I feel like, you know, it doesn't really do anything for me, I usually just won't mention it rather than maybe talking shit about it on the podcast because I know that a lot of people listen or whatever and you don't want to like 
you know, turn somebody off that might, yeah. it might actually be a perfect product for them. So usually I'll just kind of choose okay. not to say anything about it what, rather than kind of getting on and ranting about it. And I, exactly. I sort of feel like it's the same way should kind of happen in social media. Like when you're on a Facebook group of, Hey, if you, if you see something you don't like, or you, you don't have anything good to say about it, just, just move on, man. You don't have to comment on that post. Just uh, kind of, exactly. it just, uh, yeah, stay positive, shoot some cool film photos, right? Yeah. So. Scroll on <laughs> yeah. to the next one and, and buy the things you want to buy and, you know, if somebody's got something that you don't like, well, yeah, don't buy it. But yeah, you have yeah. to have a comment or, or something, yeah, yeah. voice your opinion on absolutely everything. God, no. Yeah, we kind of had this talk in, in the whole film podcasters group about we're kind of, we kind of have a responsibility to these products to give them a chance and, and not put negative seeds in people's minds. And, like, I might not like a product, but I'm not going to openly bash said product I, i've actually cut a couple rants from my podcast you know because I, I had to rethink like uh, this maybe wasn't the right forum to get into this you know uh-huh. well i probably should have cut out like uh some of andre's rant about his love for uh for me in the podcast in episode 200 i think we probably <laughs> cut some of that out right <laughs> no no that's that's those are special negative positives moments <laughs> Preserve for posterity. <laughs> well, it's, it's definitely there for, for posterity. It went on for about 15 minutes. <laughs> right. Some people were not happy about that. They were pretty <laughs> vocal about it. I remember. It was really funny. <laughs> yeah, Andre uh, kind of did get a little bit about that. A little little, little bit of, gr- a little bit of some, some badness. I don't know. But so, oh, there it is. So there we go. Uh, that wraps up. Uh, topic number one for the roundtable discussion, and uh, and I say uh, since uh, I started recording, I have um, uh, two hooligans, uh, two of my friends, Josh and Brandon, showed up here in the gutter man cave. Can we hear a little round of applause from? Uh, <laughs> 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 They're in here uh, drinking beer and uh, uh, with me, so uh, just uh, it's kind of kind of weird to have a, a little live audience here. But uh, uh, so, but after I get this done, uh, the editing might be a little spotty because I will be getting drunk with these uh, these two fools. So. Uh, but yes. we'll see how that see how, see how that I will works say out. the of of all the friends that you've had, you know, in the gutter man cave while recording, they've all been so you know respectful and quiet <laughs> while you have been recording. Yeah, somewhat, somewhat. Yeah, Chris uh, Lee, but, maybe not as much, but <laughs> the night is young. So, all right, well, let's uh, go ahead and take a break, and then we will uh, get to the second topic in the roundtable discussion. So uh, we will take a break and be right back, folks. Folks, we're back from the break, and uh, so we're going to do uh, the next topic is one that I came up with, and uh, I was just kind of thinking about this at work one night, and uh, basically the question that I wanted to kind of get everybody to talk about is like, what if uh, this whole film thing falls apart, and what if like you know it gets it gets really sketchy for us, and in, in the years to come, and and, and uh, some companies uh, fall, and and so basically, I guess the question is, who who do you think will be the last of the filmmakers, the film manufacturers standing? And then secondly, if they do fail, would you continue to shoot film 
shooting expired stocks or would you be like, okay, I, I, I got no choice. I'm going all digital and that's what we're, that's what I'm rolling with or, or maybe do a combination of both. I just kind of wanted to just, uh, let's, let's, I know this is supposed to be a positive uh, podcast, but just, uh, let's, let's talk negative for once. Uh, let's, if, if things were to really fall apart, what would you do? So that's kind of the, uh, the, the topic I wanted to throw out. Let me start the timer. We're going down to 15 minute sessions here because we're going to try to fit in an extra topic on this show. So we got 15 minutes to talk about this topic. So here we go. Timer is running, and uh, I'll go ahead and start since it's my, my topic, I guess. But uh, I think, um, as far as film manufacturers, I think honestly, I feel like the healthiest has got to be Ilford. I feel like they'll probably be the last major one standing. Uh, we don't really know about Fuji, and uh, because they're, and we're not really going to ever know anything to them until it kind of happens. It seems like because they seem to be very tight-lipped about everything. Uh, Kodak still seems extremely rocky with their financial reports. They just put out a, a uh, their quarterly uh, report. Uh, recently and it didn't look that good they seem to continually be uh coming up a little short on the funds kind of kind of continually making less money uh, each each uh, quarter that goes by and I'm just not really sure of the financial uh, stability of kodak at this point which is i think a kind of a scary thing because if you have a a major uh, a major film manufacturer like that fell it can it, you know it can send uh kind of a riptides or, or currents to the whole um through the whole industry so uh and it could it could actually shake up some other uh, other uh, man, manufacturers in the process. So, uh, but that's kind of what I think. And, and if they were to all fail, I think for me, I would probably, uh, since I'm such a Kodak guy, I would probably stock up on a crap ton of Kodak film, uh, right. As they were <laughs> closing shop, shoot that stuff. And then maybe try to figure out where I'd go from there. I would probably continue to shoot expired stocks until, uh, that got prohibitively expensive. Uh, but then I guess I guess I'd have no choice but to, to uh, go back to digital if there was no film options. But you know I'll just continue to support film as long as somebody's out there manufacturing it. Is it's kind of my stance on it. But uh, what's everybody else think about this one? As scary of a thought as it is, you know, having hitched my uh, my horse to this wagon or this metaphor is is falling apart. Um, the <laughs> the comforting thing is that. When it comes to shooting film and availability of film, if, you know, worse came to worse and Kodak uh, failed and, and Fujifilm failed, that would pretty much be, uh, you know, the, the end of, of color film. Um, on the bright side, though, black and white would likely survive. Black and white is not that complicated. There's a bunch of different bases that you can coat emulsion on from acetate to PET to S-star to Japanese washi paper like film washi does um and it's I mean it's not just that but like it's it's silver nitrate so that's you know not going away when it comes to color when you've got color dyes and then dye couplers and a bunch of more uh complicated stuff yeah if color film were to go away I would be totally okay continuing shooting black and white and even if it was like a small outfit somewhere in like you know Europe or Asia or the US coating small batches of you know black and white emulsion onto any acceptable base that you could develop at home with you know standard photochemistry or caffeinol like you'd be able to do it so I also do agree that like Ilford would probably be you know pretty uh, healthy and, and safer from those kinds of of things than than some other companies but I don't think you know we would really kind of be looking at this like end of film as we know it type thing and I would just I'd be perfectly fine if color film didn't exist anymore 
I'd continue shooting black and white film of some kind, even if it became more uh, more difficult to to find. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I think Fuji is going to be the surviving film manufacturer because <laughs> I have Hot a takes. I have Just a source trying to rile me up here. <laughs> I ha- no, no, no. I have a source that told me that. Um, Fuji has bought a bunch of old World War bunkers and they're ter- converting them into these giant freezers and they're just putting <laughs> these master rolls in and they're stocking up with enough film to last for the next like hundred years. Ah, fuck off, John. Fuck off, Dustin. Somebody <laughs> <laughs> uh, I... told me that, okay? Yeah, yeah, I heard it too. Yeah. Yeah. Very credible source. A very credible source. Listen, it was on the internet, so you know it's true. It was on the internet. Bill Manning reported on it, so you know it's true. (laughs) And he's a bona fide journalist. He's a bona fide journalist. (laughs) (laughs) For real though, I agree. I think Ilford is most likely the strongest because it seems that they've restructured their business to be more, uh, to fit the film economy so to speak you know they seem to have cut down their manufacturing to kind of go along with the scale like they've scaled it to fit like what's being sold and i think if kodak doesn't do something like that soon they will be the first to go and i don't say that to piss off mike because he's a fanboy i I legitimately (laughs) think that kodak if anybody goes will be the first to go just because they are up shit creek without a paddle right now Uh uh-huh uh-huh well i I personally, um, I'm I'm a hoarder. I'm a you know prepper, so I've got a freezer full <laughs> of uh, film. I can shoot a roll a week for the next ten years, and I'll be still have plenty. Yeah. So I'm and I know right how to with you. <laughs> exactly. I think a lot of us probably are, with the exception of Andre, and that's just because he's under living under this false pretense that he can just get it any time. You know. And, uh, <laughs> That's probably not the case, but actually I'm, I'm really quite pessimistic about the future of it, to be honest with you. Uh Um, I think, I think, you know, color is hanging on by a thread. I think more importantly for a lot of people, consumer film is, is, is barely holding on in my opinion and that it's going to go away and it's not necessarily that it's going to go away. It's going to go way up in price. Um, you know, we saw, what the Ektar when it came out, the the Ektachrome when it was re-released, ten bucks a roll. Is anybody comfortable with that being the future price of film? Because in my mind, that's kind of where it's going to go. Um, it'll it'll become that expensive. You know, you'll you'll pay that much for Portra for anything. Um, I I do agree. I think Ilford's the only one that at this point can survive. But I you know even then. Um, how niche can the product become before it's not profitable for even that size of a business? It's interesting that you mentioned the consumer uh, color films because that's something that I, I never really thought about. Because yeah, when it comes from like a manufacturing standpoint, I I can't imagine that it's like a, a professional color film is several several times more expensive to you know manufacture and and mix the ingredients and code, et cetera. Uh, but all the other, you know, fixed costs associated with it are the same. So you naturally have a much higher margin on something like Portra 
than you do for something like Color Plus 200. So I wonder if it would ever kind of come to a point where like certain consumer color stocks would be discontinued in favor of, uh, of you know, the, the higher margin professional films. I don't know. It's an interesting uh, speculation. Right. And you don't really know which one sells the most, even at this point. I mean, you right. kind of have an idea, but, you know, which one? I mean, does Kodak really sell a whole lot of Portra? I mean, yes, they have to, but compared to what? You know, mm-hmm, yeah. and that's you look at it that way, and then you know, like with Fuji, um, that's actually it's the only film I ever see available locally, and that's because it's in a Walmart and a Walgreens. No yeah. place else do I even see anything else. It's even, I mean, anything else has to come from the internet. So I just think that, um, you know, I don't, I just, I'm, I'm pessimistic on, on where, where things go. I, I just, I've always been that way. Um, and I don't see anything that that sways me one way or the other. Well, I yeah. do think that the professional films have got to be more profitable, uh, like like Andre was kind of alluding to there, as far as like their, their bottom line, uh, because they can't be making that much money off selling Color Plus as cheap as they sell that, uh, like Kodak or whatever. Uh, the profit can't be that great on that film. It's got to be more of a, well, we hope to sell a lot of quantity and it makes us some money, but it's certainly not making them the profit that Portra is. And, you know, recently there's been problems with Portra being in stock, and it makes me wonder, is that with Kodak's manufacturing capability, I can't imagine it's that, that they're not making enough of it. I just I wonder, and I threw this out there as a, as a theory. I'm not, I have no facts or anything. I, it's just something I thought. I wonder if a, a Kodak Alaris is just not ordering enough of it. Maybe they didn't uh, you know, uh, see the, the demand uh, as, as well at, since film, has been, film sales have been increasing. I wonder if they haven't just ordered enough from Eastman because you know with Kodak's capacity there should be no reason why Portra 400 is ever out of stock you know but it seems to be happening a lot so uh, it's just uh, uh, maybe Andre uh, well, that Cinestool uh, connection maybe he might have some some light on that what do you think Andre? <laughs> well, I mean when, you know, it, when it comes to uh, actually go ahead Dustin well I was just going to say you know I have another source close to me that's been saying that um, Kodak Gold 200 is getting discontinued <laughs> That's, that's uh, the you just wanted to come on here and stir up a bunch of shit. So. <laughs> um, Somebody's got to do it. I mean, you guys are all being serious and shit. Uh, I, well, do, uh, I do really have an opinion on this, but I'll let Andre go ahead and then I'll go. Yeah, so, I mean, we, obviously at Cinestill, we're no kind of strangers to uh, not being able to to meet demand with with current production capacity. The good thing is, uh, well, even though you know there there are definitely uh, times as we see that Kodak kind of hemorrhages money, uh, that film sales have increased quite a bit in the past few years. Now, kind of moving that all the way up the up, up the planning process and up the manufacturing process, you have to go all the way up to you know, raw materials and have, you know, hopefully accurate enough demand projections in order to plan out certain purchases of large amounts of raw materials. And then once you have that, allocate that based on, you know, certain film stocks. So how much of, you know, let's say a certain amount of raw material are you going to dedicate towards Portra uh, 160 and 400 and 800 and Ektar and in all different formats as well. So it's not an easy thing to to do. And you know, Eastman is, is definitely concentrating most of their focus on the movie films because that's where the the big money is for them anyway. I would think so. You know that gets yes. allocated the most importance. So 
That's what I was going to say. I, I think the first thing to go for Kodak is professional marketed film over their consumer films because they have to work harder on the curves and everything on that. I think if Kodak has film that stays, it's going to be their motion picture film and possibly their consumer film because you know that that consumer film is not as expensive for them to manufacture and the margins are not going to be there because they don't put as much into the development and making that film as stable across the, the color spectrum as the professional marketed films. Uh-huh. And Matt, I don't know. I don't, yeah. I don't know like as much about the film manufacturing process as I would like to, but I, part of me would think that, you know, a lot of, you know, kind of getting to those like uh, certain color profiles and contrast curves was figured out during the R and D phase. And then it's, a formula that's applied and granted higher like quality control and, and more careful quality control with the professional films than with the consumer films but I don't actually I'm not confident enough to to be able to sort of stick my my flag in the in the sand to say that you know one is substantially more expensive and therefore make a conjecture as to if it came down to it which one would they discontinue first uh, but I'm not sure it's an interesting thought Matt, well, uh, you had you had an angle that we got like I'm trying to rush here because we got like two minutes left on the timer. I don't know if that's enough for you to get into it, Matt. But you had an angle here about expired stocks. Uh, maybe if, if you can get it in two minutes, <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Matt, he's muted. I will say one thing: like shooting expired stocks is not helping the cause. You know, like it's it's all great and well, but it's not helping them sell fresh film. True, true. Yeah, but I already determined that I don't need to support fresh film, but that was in the previous segment. But (laughs) (laughs) if if every if everybody that shot film did that, then yeah, it would definitely not help. Uh, shoot what you want to shoot. If you like expired film, shoot expired film. No fuck that. God damn it, shoot fresh film, Matt. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever you say. Um but but the whole point is, you know, there's there's a lot of stock out there. Um and I guess for me, I look at it this way. I mean, who does new research and development? Who does who? Who's photochemical engineers? Who even has those jobs anymore? Do they even exist anymore? And that's the way I look at it. Is we're kind of there. We're at the tail end. I don't see any new stuff. You know, there's there's very little. They're taking old stuff and reimagining it, using some new chemistry. But I mean, how much of that still is out there? Um, I mean, it's still contracting. Fuji's going to go away. We know that. They, they, they're just going to ride it until they decide because they're an extremely large corporation. They're going to ride it until mm, the numbers don't make sense anymore. And until then they empty their freezers. They're, once those freezers <laughs> are empty, they're done. They're done. I have it on good authority from the really internet that they have one giant freezer under Yokohama Bay and they pull the submarine out there and pull out a giant uh, roll every two years. This is completely the wrong topic for me to bring up tonight. <laughs> 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 and with that, I'm definitely going to make that buzzer last and end this conversation before it goes down into some more, uh, I don't know, more uh, shit stirring, I think is uh, what's what's basically <laughs> happening here. So, But, uh, okay, so we're going to uh, take a break and... Um, 
Let's see if we can get four four topics in. So we'll uh, we'll take a little break here and uh, come back with the next topic from one of the other round table round table members. So uh, we'll take a break and be right back, folks. All right, folks, we're back for the break, and um, we have, we're going to fit in two topics uh, on this uh, on this uh, on this particular segment, and we're going to we're going to shorten the times down. We're going to two ten minute to- uh, topics, basically, two quick hitters. So uh, let's get to uh, this was a topic that uh, Mr. Matt Melcher, Box of Cameras podcast, uh, uh, kind of uh, came up with. So Matt, how about you tell the fine people about this uh, this this little topic you want to talk about? Matt Melcher on mute again. <laughs> What? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, bro. Sorry, sorry to bother you, Matt. It's just what? <laughs> uh, yeah. Did you fall okay. asleep? <laughs> oh man, don't I wish? <laughs> that would make you feel great. Um, okay, my my topic really is just more or less a question. Do you shoot? It kind of ties from that old uh, from the segment we just did. But do you shoot? old film formats, film formats that don't exist. And we just talked about companies that, you know, may not exist. What about formats, you know, like 620 and 126 and 127 and 116, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what about the, uh, you know, the APS revival? That's the hottest uh, trend in film photography is taking over the world by storm. I mean, that's another, uh, that we can definitely include there, right? Exactly. <laughs> How do you accomplish that since in many cases the film hasn't been manufactured in decades? I mean, right. how, how, how does that uh, go along? I mean, yeah, there's, yeah, some of it's expired, but how do you make new film work? Do you shoot that? Do you look at those things? Um, is that something that's of any interest to anybody else other than me? All right, timer's running. So, uh, Matt, why don't you go ahead and since it's kind of your topic, tell, go ahead and get your point on it, and then we'll we'll counterpoint that. So. Oh, I'm sure of it. Um <laughs> Uh, first off, you know, there's there's a lot of different ways that you can shoot. Uh, there's so many cameras out there. It was sort of the way I first came to it is there's so many cameras out there that um, are just withering away, turning into nothing but gunk and dust on a, on a shelf that all they need is film. And, you know, I saw a post in the uh, negative positives group last week and Somebody was talking about a film format uh, or the the FAC 127. That's what it was, the product that you can use to slice a 120 roll down to a 127 format. And mm-hmm. someone says, well, why don't you just shoot 120 film in a medium format camera? And I'm like, well, yeah, you can do that, but that's not really the point. The point is you've got other cameras that you can certainly bring into back to and bring into use. Right. Um, if, if you can easily take a fresh roll of 120 format film, and slice it to 127 with a, uh, you know, little care of uh, exposing it and whatnot. Um, you know, first off, I I I love my Yashica 44 TLR. She takes 127 format film. I bought a hundred foot roll of it. Um, hmm. 
and I just reused backing paper, spooled on that, you know, a roll, uh, 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 shots. I think the 12 shots takes about a two feet worth of film. So there's 50 rolls of film. Um, I didn't spend $30 on that. You know, yeah, I've got to do some work, but I can make that happen. And I, I mean, I've got a, a great camera that can produce great images. I mean, there's all kinds of 620 format cameras, medium format cameras that uh, were made back in the 50s and 60s even that, that can be repurposed or used again by simply re-rolling a roll of film onto a, a 620 spool. Um, you know, not to mention there's all kinds of adapters that can easily be used to take a medium format 120 and put it into a 116 camera and get yourself some great images. And I just think that we are limiting ourselves to our use of equipment if we're just going to limit ourselves to the commercially available film formats. I agree. And, you know, I, uh, I've, I've actually found a way to uh, develop and uh, scan my own APS film so I'm, I can be self-sufficient with it. And so it's, and it's been a really cheap way to shoot. Uh, and that, so it's been a lot of fun. And, of course, that film is pretty old. I've had, you know, some results that have been really great and some results have been definitely very expired looking and uh, a lot of color shifts and strange grain and weird, all kinds of weirdness, which sometimes can be kind of, kind of cool and fun. But uh, And also, like, I have a lot of 620 uh, Cameras. Some of them I can kind of jam a 120 roll into uh, uh, if I use like a 620 uh, take up spool or whatever. Usually I can kind of some of them I can make work with the Brownie Hawkeye. Uh, you can do that with and uh, uh, but uh, and then like uh, the other thing I did buy the um, the 126 adapter from Factmatic that allows you to kind of stuff some 35 millimeter film into a uh, Instamatic uh, camera. That so and I'm kind of looking forward to trying that because it'll be like a square image on 35 millimeter film. Uh, which I think would be kind of fun. And so I, I, I definitely fully support, like, uh, you know, re resurrecting some of these cameras that are out there. You can get dirt cheap because there's not film readily available. With a little bit of work, you can really shoot film very, very cheaply uh, and affordably or whatever. So, and it can be a lot of fun and fun to experiment with. So I, I'm, I totally support it. Um, and, you know, uh, as far as like expired films, expired stocks, I just feel like, you know, again, like we said last segment, shoot, shoot what you want. I, I've, I've had some bad results out of expired film lately, and it's sort of turned me off a little bit on it. But you know, then every once in a while, you get some great results out of it, and then you're like, okay, this was this was really a cool, cheap way to to shoot. Uh, but uh, I've had I've kind of went through a little phase lately where I've kind of had some bad bad luck with expired films. But um, you know, it just it's you never know what you're getting into. Sometimes you never never know how the film has been stored. And uh, I have one batch of APS that's particularly I know was stored horrible, and they always come out straight huge color shifts and and stuff like that. But but it's still fun. It's still it's a unique look. Hey, people uh, use software to get these looks uh, right, and I'm getting it for free out of just using this crappy. Uh, uh, <laughs> pretty much baked film so <laughs> but yeah anybody else uh, what were y'all's thoughts i mean i was personally raised to like not let things go to waste and it does make me sad sometimes that people kind of shit on expired film because i mean if we don't shoot it eventually it's going to get to the point where it really is unusable and you can't even get anything like kind of cool and quirky out of it uh, especially with the color stuff so if it's there and it's available, you know, shoot it. Why not? Mm, I mean, I have some acros <laughs> that's going to be expired in October, and I'm still going to shoot it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's not, that's, not too, that's not too expired there, man. <laughs> well, and I'm not even really 
thinking more along the lines of it being expired. I'm just thinking more along the lines of the different format cameras yeah. that, that are just gone yeah. by the wayside. You know, um, I've got a couple of just, you know, crappy 50s plastic 127 cameras, you know, Imperial Satellite. And, uh, you know, those, I've, those I've found cameras are so cool looking, man. <laughs> they're, they're cool and they're just nothing but plain old plastic box cameras. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, to actually sit here and take one and use it. So like, uh, two years ago I was out in California, um, and my wife and I were visiting a, a winery and they had a 127 Imperial satellite sitting on and just on a little display shelf, just as a quirky little item. And I went out to my truck and I says, yeah, I've got one of those and I've got film in it and I'm shooting it right now. And they were just blown away, you know, and, uh, it just, just the fact that to me, those, I realize that they're probably the first things to go will be a lot of those cameras will, will hit and wind up in, uh, in the landfill. But gosh, it just seems like, you know, it, it doesn't take much to, to take a fresh roll of 35 millimeter film and spool it up onto some 126 with the backing paper, or, you know, even throw some 120, even throw some 35 millimeter film and put some backing paper on it and put it in a, you know, 116 Adapter. format camera that gives you some super wide image that, you know, you go and spend hundreds of dollars for a camera that's going to give you, um, you know, sprocket holes and exposed all this stuff for a super wide format. You can just easily do it in a old folding Kodak. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do think too, like, uh, I have one of those Imperial cameras and it's a 620 camera and it is definitely one of those cameras that you cannot in any way, shape or form get a jam of 120 reel in there whatsoever. So I've got to learn how to, to, uh, to spool onto 620, uh, um, spools or whatever, and I know it's not hard. I just haven't taken the time to do it. Have, have you done that, Matt? Uh, gotten one twenty to six twenty uh, reels pretty easily. Yeah, it's a piece of cake. Yeah, it's yeah. it's one of those things that you do it once, and it's like, oh, okay, I was worried about that. Right, and there's so many cool cameras that shoot six twenty. Like, there's been a lot of talk lately. Uh, I know Classic Camera Revival had an episode on uh, the Kodak Metalist, which is a fantastic camera with a superb lens on it. One of the maybe one of the best lenses that Kodak ever manufactured. And uh, I have I have the the Metalist too, and I've never shot it because it just sits in my cupboard because it's it's an awesome looking camera. I bought it uh, mainly because I'm again a huge Kodak fan, but <laughs> and it's probably the best camera they ever manufactured. But or one of them, one of them anyway. And, uh, but I need to learn how to, uh, I need to do that so I can, uh, get some 620 film in that thing. Cause it is a 620 camera and, uh, see, just see what, uh, everybody raves about on that lens. But, uh, yeah, just good, good stuff, man. Anybody else have any thoughts? One of those, the things that old like... formats, go ahead, go for it. <laughs> uh, I just, old formats died for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's some beautiful cameras out there that shoot those old formats, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> true, but, you know, they You're also died for this. a reason. <laughs> well, you know what? APS only died because of that, that evil digital onslaught. So that's, uh, you know, that's you know, because it was. Uh, it's advanced. It's advanced photo system. So, you know, it's. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> whatever you have to say to sleep at night. Um, <laughs> like, I, I, mean, I don't know. I, it, again, to me, it comes back to. You know, if I'm wasting my time with those old formats, then I, I don't know. I just, I might as well be shooting digital. Well, 
Okay. All right. All right. That's, we're not we're not going to sway Dustin on this one. So, uh, all right. And there it is. So there. There we go. That is the end of that topic for the roundtable discussion. And we're going to fit another one in here. And this one uh, is a topic that Mr. Andre Dominguez, Mr. 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 Hollywood, uh, Doc Hollywood came up with. And uh, so, Andre, how about you tell the fine folks uh, the, the subject you want to talk about on this roundtable? Sure. So it's one that's definitely not, you know, original at all. But one I remember that the M has been talking about and just with... A lot of stuff going on uh, recently within our, our little podcast community uh, from, you know, heart surgeries to family members passing away and just a bunch of tough shit in life that, that you know, people have been having to go through. Just kind of talking about uh, this, this idea of photography as a healing process, you know, do you guys actively try to you know, to, to use it to get through difficult times, um, you know, cope with uh, the death of, of family members through film photography related projects or, you know, kind of seeing that coming, you know, in advance one day down the line, uh, try to view your film photography differently when it comes to documenting uh, friends and family members. Yeah, yeah. I... Um... So my grandmother just passed a couple months ago, and I like was certainly happy that the last time I saw her, I had a camera with me, and I was able to snap a couple pictures, and that made things a little bit better. Um, but I think, just in general, it keeps me sane. I'm not going to say like I actively use it to try to like get myself through tough tough times, but I think like just in general for the most part like it helps keep me sane it's just like a kind of like a way for me to shut my brain off for a second and only focus on the one thing i agree i, I feel like every artistic expression or, or creative outlet that you have is has a, a therapeutic sort of nature in, in its in just in its essence or whatever and uh you know i've had two deaths in the family this year so 2019 can uh, can suck it for us. Uh, it's, it's kind of been our uh, what my wife and I have said about this year so far. But uh, and it was tough, man. But and you know it's funny uh, going through scanning these uh, photo albums I inherited from uh, my wife's father who passed uh, like last month or so or a month or two ago or whatever. Uh, it, you know, seeing these photos, there's a lot of photos of him in there as well that I'm scanning and uh, photos of him much younger and and kind of getting to see his life and all that stuff and. And in a way, it's been a little bit sad seeing this stuff. It's like, man, it's I, I still haven't really come to, to grips with the fact this guy isn't with us anymore. Because you just kind of go through your daily life and you almost kind of forget they're not they're not there anymore. But uh, but seeing these photos has been, in a way, at, at times kind of sad. It kind of makes me miss him. But at other times, it's always been like, man, it's you know, he um, he did a lot of cool things in life, man. And having those photographs and seeing those uh, kind of these kind of these little these little photo you know photograph treasures that kind of uh you know document his life was uh mm-hmm. also kind of uplifting too and it made me feel um uh, uh i don't know it just it, it was there was a little bit of healing in that and i think the power of photography and photographs of loved ones uh can really go a long way uh when someone's not with us anymore to kind of like you know sort of feel like you know you're still in, in you're still in touch with that person so uh, that's just something I've noticed lately with um, kind of dealing with uh, two deaths in the family and, and going through a lot of photos of these people that we've lost. And uh, I found it, uh, you know, uh, kind of uplifting, at, at times sad, but for the most part uplifting. Just just to have these mementos is, is, a, is a real treasure. Well, it's... well, actually, I just wanted to 
add on to what you said earlier, Dustin, and that was the, the thing about turning the brain off. You know, when you're going through traumatic events, whether it's something, you know, as, as tragic as a death or just, you know, in Andre's case, you know, going through some very serious uh, health issues, you know, you've got to have something that, that can just make you turn that, that thought in your head off, even if it's just for a few minutes while you sit here and try and figure out how you're going to take a picture of the dog over there. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that does nothing but, you know, help you kind of recenter yourself from whatever this thing is that you're dealing with. Um, and then also along with what you said, Mike, you know, I've, I've got, you know, loads of photo albums, um, that are my mom's and, you know, I, you know, she's not in the best of ways. And, Mm -hmm. uh, just looking at these, these photos is, is realizes, makes you realize how precious everything is along there. And that's just what's important. And, you know, thankfully, I, I come from a group of people that uh, happily documented many mundane things that now don't seem so mundane. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of that in this uh, uh, in these photo albums. Now, I was actually surprised because when I first started dating my wife, they, they didn't her family did not really seem to have cameras out that much. They didn't seem to document their lives least that was my thought but then i start going with these photos I was like they really did take a lot of photos now granted they're all like you know crappy you know snapshots with a flash blowing people out and stuff like that you know the, the typical kind of photo album kind of look or whatever but they did document a lot and and what i was really surprised with and not not just the vacations were in there not just the special uh family trips or whatever or, or christmases and stuff like that there was a lot of uh kind of the more mundane uh, here's my wife uh, doing her homework on her bed when she was a teenager or whatever and and stuff like that like they they did do a good job at, at putting some of that daily life stuff in there and it's and it's 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 kind of cool how those actually resonate more man just getting a peek to how they actually lived rather than oh hey here's us around the, you know in Gatlinburg or or on the beach uh, that one year we went to the beach or you know it's just uh, those uh, those photos don't seem to resonate as well as just like these little mundane like glimpses at their life you know so that's something I've been preaching a lot on the podcast to uh, just take those photos, you know, and, um, I, I'm really seeing it kind of come, come around full, full, full tilt. Uh, seeing these old photo albums. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the cricket's got plenty to say that damn thing will not fucking shut up. Little <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think, I think you're, I think it's, everybody should take photos of their loved ones. You know, it's just, you never know where, when they're going to, they're gonna go so take as many as you can while you can yeah i agree like there's 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 times when like uh like like well we were uh we were at a a restaurant tonight with some friends and uh i took a couple of photos uh uh there and you know we're just in a stupid little mexican restaurant no big deal that's not like a a big deal but oh we got to document our our our, us all the friends getting together and going to a mexican restaurant you know but uh, i took some photos just because hey you know um uh, th- that's going to be something probably a lot cooler than hey, here's that time when we we all went to I don't know some amusement park or something. It just it's just it's just weird, but how how these uh, just the importance of documenting this stuff. I, I'm just I'm I'm full in it, man. Just seeing these old fam- family photo albums that's just heavy on my mind right now. So that's kind of why I'm just rambling about this now. <laughs> well, you talked about the memories, and I think it, it it makes perfect sense because you know everything can bring back a memory for you. You know, scent, like 
the way a light catches something, but I don't think anything can bring a memory back as visceral as an image or a recording of a person. So it makes perfect sense that like these these pictures would you know kind of get you feeling that way. Oh yeah, yeah. And Andre, you I mean I know you've talked about it on the podcast quite a bit. You've been quiet here for a couple minutes, so. Uh, uh, you know, you use photography a lot to kind of get through your your surgery. You're coming uh, healing from a your your heart surgery. So, I mean, you definitely got a unique take that maybe a lot of us haven't have necessarily went through. So, how about sharing a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I've I've talked about it many times uh, with my little Olympus XA, which was the only camera that I could really kind of hold up to my face, given how much like actual like muscle trauma there was. Uh, but I do wish that, you know, I think a lot of, of you know, when we kind of think about uh, these things and, and photography as, you know, a, a tool for healing, there's a certain healthy amount of, of regret there. Even if we do, you know, do a, a relatively good job of, you know, documenting these difficult things or just the, the you know, normal mundane moments of the friends and families that we uh, have we always wish that we could do more in my case you know kind of looking back when I used to go back home uh, during college for you know basically any uh, little vacation or holiday that we had I really didn't take that many pictures of, of my of my family and looking back to the time of my surgery yeah I was doing some like street photography uh, out as like my physical therapy per se but when I kind of look back at those images sometimes like enough years have kind of gone by from my surgery that I sometimes even forget like oh was that one of the ones that I took during my recovery or is it just a, a random street shot that I took at some point in Miami so I wish I had like kind of documented my recovery in a little bit more personal of a, of a way like some kind of series of self-portraits or something like that I don't know uh, I, I, I've always found that thinking about this topic always kind of makes me happy and pushes me and motivates me to, to want to document those around me more um, while also having a healthy amount of regret for not doing quote unquote a good enough job of it when I do <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> you actually kind of wrapped that one up. It didn't really get you off. Uh, uh, yeah, didn't didn't interrupt you too bad there. So yeah, it was like a period to the end of your sentence. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> totally All right. planned. <laughs> All right. So that's uh, that's it for the segment of uh, roundtable discussions. So we're going to take one more last break and come back from that and have uh, one more topic that I believe will be presented by Mr. Dustin Cogsdale. So uh, we'll take a break and be right back, folks. All right, folks, we're back for the final segment, and we have one more roundtable discussion to talk about, and we're going to give 10 minutes on the Gray Lab timer for this one. And this one comes from, uh, this topic was uh, brought up by Mr. Dustin Cogsdale. I will start the timer, and Dustin, what is your topic you'd like to talk about? 
stigma of shooting in auto. It seems like uh. everybody is scared of admitting that they shoot in auto, or they're just scared of shooting in auto because of fear of maybe somebody's going to call them, like call them out and tell them they're not a real photographer. But I don't know, man. <laughs> well, I will chime in definitely. This is actually funny when uh, when uh, when you brought this topic up to our message thread. Uh, this has actually been on my list of topics I wanted to talk about on the podcast, and uh, I wasn't really sure. How, I honestly, I can say that I've never really shot in auto, uh, but I have told my wife with her fancy new digital SLR, hey, uh, you can just put it on this and let the camera do everything for you, because she doesn't really want to learn the ins and outs of photography or whatever. But, uh, but for me, I've always been... My favorite mode of shooting is aperture priority. And in a sense, that's auto. Like, I can't really claim to be mastering the uh, all manual, you know, because if, if a camera has aperture priority on it, I, that's what I'm shooting, man. I just I just want to be able to control my depth of field and and uh, and let the ca- I'm not worried about shutter speed unless it gets too, uh, you know, unless it's getting too slow where I can't handheld it, then, uh, then I'll do something different, obviously. But uh, and I have several manual cameras I've been shooting lately, but generally I still even shoot those almost like like average priority where i'll be like okay uh, i've got um, a 50 millimeter lens in here i'm gonna put the shutter speed on 160th i know that that that'll be uh uh that'll be enough to prevent any hand you know any any shake any blur motion blur or whatever uh from my hands or whatever and i uh, just i just control the aperture the entire day <laughs> and like i usually only adjust the aperture dial like unless i have to deal with shutter speed and uh so i you know, I can't really fault people for shooting auto. I don't do it. I never have, but because uh, I feel like, uh, I guess maybe that stigma is there a little bit. Like I can't shoot auto, man. I gotta, I gotta be in control of my photography. I gotta, I gotta take control of it. You know, I gotta, I gotta you know, I'm gonna master my craft. But in, in all, in all actuality, about the only thing I ever try to adjust is aperture. And uh, uh, the only time I'll change shutter speed on a manual camera is if I want, you know, really shallow depth of field and, and uh, you know, at f. 1.7 i need to change the shutter to to get it in a, in a range where you know it works or whatever uh but yeah i'm kind of an i'm, I'm an aperture priority guy so i can't i can't shit on people for shooting all auto because technically i'm in a way i'm shooting auto right i mean i'm letting the camera mm-hmm. make decisions for me so mike yeah, would you say that the way that you shoot your holga is kind of shooting in auto <laughs> well, yeah because <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely auto because i'm not making any decisions there hell i have time i forget to focus that damn thing so <laughs> you can focus yeah, <laughs> you can focus. Well, there, oh. there is, there is, there is, there is icons on the front of it. I'm not sure they do anything, but yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Ooh. Well, I, I personally feel that um, you know a real, a real man should be confident enough in himself that he'll allow his camera to operate for him. Uh, you know, seriously. <laughs> hey guys, I'm the gatekeeper. <laughs> exactly, I'm the man. I will happily. I'll happily turn the damn thing on and press the button. There's nothing right. wrong with that. And, you know, anybody who, I, I mean, I, I see it and I hear it all the time. It's just like, oh, well, yeah, you've got to shoot that in full manual, blah, 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 blah. And that's, you know, maybe true in some things. Um, but, you know, for crying out loud, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, aperture priority is is auto. It's It's program. It's all the same. You're letting the camera make a decision for you, and you know to me it's either all or nothing. So you know why why play the game that you're not doing it when you're shooting in aperture priority or shutter priority? Come on, just let the camera do what it's. I mean, it's designed to be able to do that. Um, you know, I shot a whole bunch of film over the weekend, and I put it in a in a auto everything Minolta Maxim Five, turned on the flash, and just pressed a button. 
Let it, <laughs> right. let it do its thing. And, you know, I don't know. Those photos might not come out because I was using some really weird film stock. But, um, you know, come on. I, I mean, I can. And I, I've also done that over the weekend as well. Full manual and a Minolta SRT202 without a battery. I mean, I, I can do that too. Uh, sometimes you let the let the situation dictate, and don't be ashamed to say that you go full program. Okay, right. here's and- something for you. Uh, these people who are scared of shooting full man, or who are claiming you know you've got to shoot full manual. How many of them are using a light meter? Is that not shooting an auto? You're getting the light meter <laughs> well, to tell you point. your settings. <laughs> right. Just because be you important. set the dials, you're not the one reading that light and, and judging it and, and you know, deciding that those are the numbers. You're pushing a button on something, and it's telling you what settings exactly. you need to be at. You know, you've you got the, the, the match needle in there, and you're just making the things match up. What did you do? Yeah. In any case, you have no idea what you did. You just made the things match up, and, you know, you'll get a decent picture. You know, I've just soon just... Fine. I'll go full auto, full auto focus. I mean, come on. If I'm going to go that far, let's just let's just let it do its thing. Well, I have, a, I have a pretty good feeling that the Japanese engineers that designed my Pentax, you know, the working man's camera, and and also the German engineers that designed my Leicas, uh, they they probably have a little bit better idea of uh, of uh, how to measure light than I do. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to trust their judgment a little bit more than mine if I just uh, try to I don't know, say free ball it out there and then try to. <laughs> Try to try to come up with the exposure myself, but uh, well, so. and, and along those lines, you know, your other working man camera that you just recently acquired, that Pentax P3N, probably has one of the best meters ever in it that I've experienced anyway. That, that meter you is spot on. You're right. It's right all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you're foolish if you're not just going to let it do its thing. Because right. all you're going to do is mess it up. It is one shocking the reasons- how those meters are. Yeah. One of the reasons I love auto is because it means that I can shoot while slightly drunk. Yes, because <laughs> Dude, as I've mentioned, that is like so much wind. <laughs> as I've mentioned, you know, before with these, like uh, we we had a little like backyard um, movie night thing uh, last night at, at Brandon's house, and it was great to be able to. And, well, I mean, in that case, I, I was. I mean, it still is kind of auto. I was using my Olympus XA with the flash, so. Eh, yeah, I'm I'm guessing the distance, but everything else is is auto. But when I've brought like the F100 around with a 518 at a backyard barbecue, with you know the camera in my right hand, aperture priority set on autofocus, matrix metering, and then a burger, hot dog, or whiskey in my left hand, like that's I I'm having so much more fun like that than with a manual focus SLR, you know. Uh, judging exposure uh, while you know my my own uh, <laughs> exposure to alcohol is increasing. <laughs> so, I have a lot more fun in those scenarios when I can have a, a camera that's going to do some thinking for me. So then, Andre, that leads me to this question: Are you right-handed or left-handed? I'm right-handed. <laughs> okay, so at least you're holding so your you camera your, so in the you, correct so hand. You, okay, so you generally have your wiener in your left hand. Is that what you're? <laughs> Uh, he's bi-handed okay ambidextrous (laughs) yeah there's a word for that (laughs) um but but you know along those lines i mean seriously that just also there's a whole range of cameras out there that people just shun and that is the late model 
autofocus, auto everything uh, SLRs. I mean, you can yeah. literally buy them for nothing. They're, I mean, kind of back to this first thing. Why would you go spend you know a hundred dollars on a K one thousand when you can get a you know auto a Pentax a Pentax SF one, which is uh-huh. you know just a big brick of a noise thing. But my God, it's a great camera. Does them but great take great photos. Right. You know. It's ugly as hell, but it uh, and it looks like something out of a 1980s Terminator or RoboCop movie. But uh, but it's uh, that damn thing is a hell of a good camera, and I, I got mine for with a lens for like just a little over 20 bucks, you know. And it's you know it, it's amazing. It, it's uh, the meter's always spot on. The autofocus is relatively fast for the day, you know. And I just I love that camera, man. And like I like shooting that camera as much as I do any of my mechanical, you know. Uh, uh, cameras that are worth a lot of money or whatever. So yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, you can go to get a like the the late model Minolta's, the Maxim Five, the HTSI, STSI, those type of things. Literally, if you spend ten dollars, that's that would be kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yet they have full manual capabilities. You can shoot in full manual if you want. Mm-hmm. You can shoot it in aperture, shutter priority, and they have shutter speeds up to two thousand. Some cases four thousand. Some might even go up to eight thousand. I yep. mean, most people don't have any clue what to do with that in the first place. But you know, it has to be manual. So I have, therefore, I must get a K one thousand that only has a shutter speed of a thousand, mm-hmm. and I can't always sync it flash with it. And you know, I got to be able to trust my old eyes to be able to focus it. I mean, you know, let's just step back and get 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 uh, get that stigma. It has to go. It has to go. I mean, be, besides, people are just turning their backs on some fantastic. <laughs> I am really sort of sad that I don't think the buzzers caught Andre one time this 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 uh, this roundtable, and it, it's it's kind of sad to me. Well, I, I, other than when Dustin uh, buzzed him a couple of times, but so. right. <laughs> See. It's a good thing I did it at this point because the well, we got to keep the yeah, we, we have to keep the uh, the trend going. So I guess you know at least that, at least we had that. So well, all right, that's the uh, the end of uh, this roundtable discussion for August. And um, very much uh, thank you to uh, Matt Melcher and for uh, Dustin Cogsdale for joining us and uh, making a, a very uh, I think a lively spirited conversation about these topics and also bringing good topics uh, to the table for us to talk about on this episode. So. Uh, big thanks to them, and uh, so let's go ahead and wrap this show up and get their socials out. Let's start with uh, start with you, Dustin. Uh, have you tell everybody where to check you out, the podcast, and all that stuff? Okay, uh, you can find me on Instagram at for the love of grain. You could also hear me every Tuesday on the Grainy Days podcast. And remember, the days is spelled with a Z. Uh, we also have a podcast Instagram as well. Um, that's going to be granny underscore days underscore podcast. And that's where you can see the highlights and the people that we choose to show off every episode. Um, and yeah, you can find me on the negative positives Facebook page. I'll be around banning people and just <laughs> cracking jokes and causing trouble. <laughs> Perfect. All right, Matt, uh, tell people where they can check you out. Well, now that I have a, a new goal of getting myself banned from negative positives, I'll oh, have I to. Oh, I'll do it right now if you really want it to happen. Oh, no, it's, it's got to be legit. I mean, but now that I know, I think legit. I can. If I, if I do it, it's legit. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. One of those guys. I, I see. Okay. That alone will probably get me banned. Um, <laughs> Safe for now. Okay. Sweet. Um, 
uh, yeah, Matt Melcher on Instagram and in the Facebook group, uh, box of cameras is my film photography, um, Instagram handle. There's the occasional podcast that might slide along with that when I'm feeling it. And, uh, yeah, uh, just out there taking loads of photos and posting them and sharing them. And that's pretty much what I like to do. Awesome. And I definitely, everybody, if, I'm sure you guys are already checking them out, but definitely check out Grainy Days and uh, Box of Cameras podcast. Uh, very, very awesome uh, podcasts that are out there. Kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, maybe, well, uh, Matt's probably is uh, very, uh, uh, very factual, but uh, and you got Dustin's is just trying to stir up shit all the time. So apparently, so that's a. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's <laughs> on other people's podcasts. Oh, okay. I forgot. Yeah, I'm usually the one here. trying to wrangle the wrangle my podcast back in. If that tells you anything, it's all it's all the other ones. It's all the other podcasts that are stirring the shit. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. Okay, that's and, uh, voice of reason. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> that's scary thought. All right, Andre. Where can people check you out at? My bad. I know oh, it was just muted <laughs> <laughs> and I even said it twice. Um, people can find my photos on Instagram at Andre. Onsen. <laughs> I should have seen the own company. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you did it. Dustin. Cause I was, my finger was, my finger was on the trigger, man. <laughs> Technically uh, I'm an admin too. I can, I can ban Dustin. <laughs> Hey, bring it on, baby. <laughs> uh, all right. So you can see my photography on Instagram at Gutterman Photo, on Facebook at My Gutterman Photography. You can join the Facebook group, the Negative Positives Film Photography Podcast Facebook group. We're all members there, and you should be too. Uh, you can email this program at negpositives at gmail.com. And you can follow this program on Instagram under the account Negative Positives, mostly ran by a friend of the show, Mr. Bryce Randall. If you submit photos to Instagram, think about using the hashtag negative positives and uh, maybe Bryce will see it and highlight it on the Instagram account for this very program. So, and I also want to thank my live studio audience uh, for uh, being a, being a, being a, I don't know what, bringing me beers when I needed beers. So, yeah. Wait, you're doing a podcast? <laughs> So, so there you go. Um, all right. So let's uh, let's get on out of here. Everybody, uh, thanks for listening. Everybody have a great week. Everybody stay positive. And shoot some film, dang it. <laughs> cool photo Wait, shoot. Podcast. Oh. Wait, <laughs> May all your days be grainy. <laughs> all right, folks. We'll see you soon. Thank you very much. This is Mike on the mic. <laughs> Testies one, two. <laughs>
<laughs> and uh, and Mike's cricket uh, in the uh, gutter man cave. So. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, cricket, I'm not gonna be able to hold it together with that damn cricket. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> All right, Andre. It's really gonna make the um, <laughs> the 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 spaces when we're kind of like not wanting to interrupt each other super funny. <laughs> oh, There's man. my audio test. Uh, and oh, uh, Dustin, oh, I, I, can't, I can't handle it. <laughs> and Matt, <laughs> and and. It will actually bring uh, a, a real slice of life to the term crickets. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, shit. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. What, what, was it? what was the name of this one again? APS Film Users Group. I think I, I'm surely I'm a member there. I, I'm a member of some APS. Uh, Somebody group. kicked you out. Did they kick me out? Really? That band. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know what? Uh, well, you know, every leader at some point has mutiny. Uh, that happens. <laughs> yeah. So, and uh, that's, that's, I think it's what I might be having a little mutiny on my hands. Maybe once I got the Leica, you know, they were like, well, this guy is obviously too good for APS now. Maybe, maybe they've turned against that's me. What it is. Mike, I got a bone to pick with you. Oh, no, you're in it. Uh, Never mind. <laughs> oh, there's, see, I knew I was. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> you're leading the revival. Come on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Time to get the Leica APS camera. <laughs> yeah, I, I really should have it just for shits and giggles, man. Like, <laughs> apparently, it's even not not even that great of an APS camera, but uh, and overpriced for what it is. is but uh, that even a thing? Is there a great APS camera? There, are, yeah. There's a Contax. Uh, the, the they call it the Tix, the T I X. Uh, that's yeah. like basically like the same as the Contact. Contax, like uh, what is it? The what's the big one that? What's the, the big T2. thirty-five millimeter? Yeah, like it's like the APS version of that, pretty much. And uh, I mean, that's not a great camera. Well, I don't know. I'm just it's saying, got a, it. it's got a good lens on it, and it's a point and shoot. Right. Well, I mean, just saying, it, it's one of the big point and shoot craze cameras or whatever. And Johnny uh, was telling us um, on the he was our last guest on the podcast, and he was telling us he sold one of those for two thousand dollars. What? Good, good for him. The T two. Oh, T2. At, I was going to say, it can't be the they, APS they, camera. No, you guys just <laughs> carried on before I could get my, uh, my mic unmuted. But yeah, they sold a T2 for two grand. Uh, what is he doing? Making money. Well, no, I'm not talking about them. them. I'm talking about the dummies buying it. Right. Oh, well, that oh, was man. probably just... some like some person with more money than sense. Oh, yeah. Is that is that the one that Kardashian shoots yeah, or whatever? Right. Yep. Uh, maybe maybe they just want to have like a big juicy butt. Maybe they think that camera will give them a big juicy butt. But uh, <laughs> I think Thor is shooting that one too. The dude who plays Thor oh, okay. is shooting that camera too. Well, maybe they think it's either going to give you a big juicy butt or really dashing good looks. Maybe that's uh, <laughs> maybe that's it. A gutter man cave production. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>